Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Tonight on The Readout. Then I have an article, too, where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but... I don't even talk about that. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. The authority is it's total. It's total. Trump always claimed to have far more power than he actually had. Now his team is being very open about his plan to greatly expand presidential power if he returns to the White House. Also tonight, conservative Democrat Joe Manchin was in New Hampshire today, still playing coy about whether he intends to run on the third party no labels ticket and quite possibly to tip next year's election to Trump. Plus, the Republican presidential candidates show off their culture warrior bona fides at the Turning Point USA conference, which only served to highlight how badly they are losing the battle of ideas with the younger generation. And we begin tonight with a terrifying concept that is currently our reality. Right now, the Republican Party's presidential frontrunner, a twice impeached, twice indicted, liable for sexual abuse former president, is openly running a campaign on autocracy. New reporting from The New York Times today breaks down all the ways Donald Trump and his allies are planning to expand presidential power if he's elected in 2024. And that goes beyond just using the Justice Department to go after his political enemies, as he has already promised to do. The Times writes that Trump and his associates have a broader goal— to alter the balance of power by increasing the president's authority over every part of the federal government that now operates by either law or tradition with any measure of independence from political interference by the White House. That includes bringing independent agencies like the Federal Communications Commission, which regulates the media, and the Federal Trade Commission under direct presidential control, reviving the practice of impounding funds, refusing to spend money Congress has appropriated for programs a president doesn't like, and stripping employment protections from tens of thousands of career civil servants, making it easier to replace them if they are deemed obstacles to his agenda. Now, all this is is not a secret. It's happening not behind closed doors. They've been openly broadcasting this plan at rallies and on Trump's campaign website. But now some of these some of those directly involved in this multi-million dollar operation have been saying the quiet part out loud. Russell Vaught, who ran the Office of Management and Budget in the Trump White House, told The Times, quote, what we're trying to do is identify the pockets of independence and seize them. While John McEntee, a former White House personnel chief, said our current executive branch was conceived by liberals for the purpose of promulgating liberal policies. There is no way to make the existing structure function in a conservative manner. It's not enough to get the personnel right. What's necessary is a complete system overhaul. And it's not just Trump's campaign shop. There's a network of conservative groups who are backing this effort, like the Heritage Foundation, the organization that's been shaping Republican policies since the Reagan administration. 
not to mention the Supreme Court. And if you're asking yourself why they're doing this, I have three words for you. Power, money, and deregulation. The Times writes, the agenda being pursued has deep roots in the decades-long effort by conservative legal thinkers to undercut what has become known as the administrative state. Agencies that enact regulations aimed at keeping the air and water clean and food, drugs, and consumer products safe, but that cut into business profits. And their plan to dramatically increase presidential power is all under the legal guise of the unitary executive theory, which should sound familiar. It's this idea that because the executive branch is headed by a single person, that that person, the president, is the ultimate policymaker. Supporters of this theory believe Article 2 of the Constitution makes it so that the president is essentially immune to checks and balances from Congress and can, as Donald Trump has said, do anything he wants within the executive branch, and no one can stop him. This is not a novel concept. Reagan administration lawyers developed the theory to advance their deregulatory agenda, and George W. Bush's administration floated it after 9-11. But what Donald Trump is vowing to do is to take that to the next level, With the help of conservative billionaires, he's essentially running for office on the idea of turning the presidency into a dictatorship. Well, none of this is surprising. It is incredibly alarming, especially considering that Trump remains the Republican Party's frontrunner, which very well means that the 2024 presidential election may determine whether or not the United States of America remains a democracy. Joining me now is Michael Beschloss, MSNBC presidential historian, and Joshua Stanton, president of the Defense of Dignity Center and counsel at Perry Law. Thank you both for being here. And I will start with you, Michael Beschloss. Um, You've covered the presidency for a very long time. This concept that they've created of essentially unitary uh, president who cannot be stopped by Congress or anyone in the executive branch, what do you make of it? It's ridiculous. There is no such thing. This is an invention. If we brought James Madison back, who did much to invent the system that we're talking about, his whole thing was balance of power, you know, checks and balances between three branches, co-equal, a president, a Supreme Court, a Congress. And so what we've got now is, and he's telling us 16 months before the next presidential election, Donald Trump is the first person, the only person in all of American history who has said, if you elect me, my intention is to establish, just as you're saying, Joy, a presidential dictatorship, telling you, the American people, your family, everyone you know, your friends, others, every private aspect of your life, if you're running a business, there's not going to be an independent federal trade commission. Donald Trump will tell your business what to do. If you're part of a media organization, as we are, uh, there will not be, for instance, a, an independent Federal Communications Commission. Donald Trump, if he hears something on MSNBC or another network or doesn't like something he reads in the New York Times, which is probably pretty likely, he can do a lot to have you know, what we do, what all of us do, uh, stilled and perhaps even those organizations abolished. We've never seen anything like this in American history. All I'm saying to our friends who are watching us tonight, take this very seriously. Don't think this is a joke. Right. And Mr. Stanton, I struggle to find the liberals who created uh, the executive branch. I struggle to find them in the people uh, such as Mr. Madison and Jefferson, et cetera. They weren't 
liberals. Uh, but the second part of what Mr. Vote said, I think, is the point. You can't create conservative outcomes unless the president, and it's a president we like, has complete control. So uh, just from a legal standpoint, talk a little bit about um, this idea. I'm going to read, let me, let me, before you do that, let me let, read a little thing from The Economist. It says, Republicans believe that they will be able to enact their program only if they first defang the so-called deep state by making tens of thousands of top civil servants sackable. These changes would give an over, an, uh, an overmighty president direct control of the Department of Justice. By being able to sack all the support, the purported dissenters, the administration would obliterate the norm of legal, of legal independence. If so, Trumpian resentment would be channeled into concrete vengeance. The prospect should concern all Americans. It's essentially Victor Orbanism or Putinism in America. That's right. This is an extreme and dangerous theory that even fairly right-wing legal thinkers generally have not subscribed to. And just to have some understanding of how fringe this is, when Justice Alito was uh, up for confirmation for his Supreme Court seat, and more recently when Amy Coney Barrett was up for confirmation on her Supreme Court seat, both of them uh, responded in relation to uh, the probably the, the most significant Supreme Court case go- governing the powers of the presidency, which is Youngstown sheet, uh, uh, tube and, uh, sheet and Tube, which governs Uh, specifically what the president can and cannot do and what Congress can regulate and legislate and prevent the president from doing. In each of them, Alito and Coney Barrett suggested that they thought that that was the right law. So what we're talking about when we think about a fringe theory, this is a theory that's to the right of, further (laughs) right of what Alito and Coney Barrett have already said. So yes, this is a dangerous theory. You know, and and, you know, Michael, it it strikes me that it is also a it's an admission of defeat in terms of the culture, in terms of mm-hmm. them, them admitting that the, the outcomes they want and that his fans want, and the reason they love Trump is that he's promising to bypass democracy, to implement the things they want that a vast sure. majority of Americans don't want. It's Nixon, but much, 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 much worse. Much, much, much worse. Exactly, Joy. And here's a situation where they're gaming the existing system. They're not talking about doing things that are illegal interestingly enough. And there's a parallel for that in Germany in 1933. Hitler, and I'm not comparing Donald Trump to Hitler, but in terms of a system, Hitler basically used the existing system in Germany in 1933 so that the will of an angry minority was translated into power and dictatorship. Exactly the same thing happening here. If we asked all Americans in a fair poll, do you love democracy? I would say probably, you know, 70% would say I do. You know, do you think that there should be abortion rights? Do you think that the press should not be intimidated? Do you think businesses should not be dictated to? I would say probably 65, 70% of Americans would say, no, I'm terrified by those things. But what the Trump people are doing is they're taking advantage of a defect, a flaw, a weakness in our system that goes all the way back to 1787, which says that if you game it, if you manipulate it, if you appoint certain people to the Supreme Court, which is owned one-third by Donald Trump appointed and people who like him, Congress may be dominated by Republicans 16 months from now. If all of that happens, the will of an angry 30% minority, or maybe a little bit more than that, 
can be made to rule all of us, and Donald Trump will be made into our dictator. Right, and there'll be nothing to ever remove or stop him. Speaking no, of people he appointed— that will be the last free election. It would be the last free election, um, I, I think, to be certain. Speaking of people that Donald Trump appointed, Aileen Cannon. Let's talk about her, uh, Joshua Stanton. Um, here, Donald Trump is praising her. He did appoint her. She was in her 30s. She doesn't have much experience at all to be a judge with this much power. But she is going to be judging the case of his uh, theft and retention of classified documents. Take a listen to what he said about her recently. Do you have any indication the judge will grant this motion? I don't know. I know it's a very highly respected judge, a very smart judge, and a very strong judge. But you appointed her. I did, and I'm very proud to have appointed her. But she's very smart and very strong and loves our country. I mean, loves our country. We need judges that love our country so they do the right thing. And that is a message to Aileen Cannon, uh, Joshua Sanders, to Judge Cannon, before she decides whether or not the trial of Donald Trump will be scheduled before the election or after. He would very much like it to be after. That seems to me that he is speaking to her and she seems to be very MAGA. What are the risks if she were to rule and say, yes, indeed, we will hold this trial until Donald Trump is in a position to pardon himself and end this trial? Well, it seems unlikely even for this judge to set the trial so far or delay it far, far into the future. Of course, we've been wrong about what what this judge would do in the past. Uh, But that being said, a a more measured response and, and perhaps a more expected response might be for the judge to set it sometime, some trial date into the future uh, that maybe neither side would, would really love with the concept that she might say, hey, come back and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get some status updates. We'll see how things are going. Uh, but the, the real risk here is I think Trump has not really done himself any favors by making these public statements because the judge will surely want to avoid an appearance of impropriety. And by judge making these very clear um, sort of undertones in in his praise of the judge in wanting her to to rule in his favor um, creates at least some possibility of that uh, in in her ruling. So I I don't think that she will appreciate these statements, even if she were going to rule for him in the first place. You know, I, you, I, Michael Beschloss did the praying hands, and I was thinking the praying hands because you know, as Lawrence O'Donnell said, uh, Michael Beschloss. Donald Trump holds the ultimate incentive for her, meaning he becomes president. Clarence Thomas retires to permanently vacation with his billionaire friends, who, by the way, probably won't (laughs) want to take him anywhere anymore because he can't give him anything anymore. And she gets on the Supreme Court in her er, late 30s. And then she had there's no incentive for her to behave herself. If she's MAGA, she can MAGA and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, and the other thing is we have to ask the question, just as Josh was saying, why did Donald Trump choose this moment to tell the American people that he will become a dictator if elected? You might think it might be more politically shrewd to pretend to be a moderate and then do all this if he is elected. And I would give two reasons. The major reason is if Americans think that Donald Trump is inevitable and that fascism is the wave of the American future, People will begin in their minds to censor themselves and they will make adjustments and everything they do between now and 16 months from now at the time of the election, they might say, well, maybe I shouldn't say this because 
if Trump is reelected, he may start jailing people. He may retaliate against people. And very specifically, if Donald Trump right now wants to intimidate jurors in Fort Pierce, Florida, in Georgia, in Washington, D.C., in other trials, you know, what better way than to give them the idea that if they're if they are cast a vote that sends Donald Trump to prison or causes him to be convicted, then if Donald Trump becomes president, who's going to be first on the enemies list? Remember what President Obama said, when we lose true democracy, people get hurt. That's Absolutely. what's going to happen if this happens. And I will note that as he is praising uh, Judge Aileen Cannon, at least for now, uh, before she maybe does something he doesn't like, he is threatening prosecutors, threatening them. And so far, no one's done anything about that. Uh, this is a blanket continue. threat. You're right. Exactly. Uh, Michael Beschloss, Joshua Stanton, thank you both. And up next on The Readout, Democrat Joe Manchin flirts with the idea of a third-party bid for president with an appearance at a no-labels event. So who is backing this group, and what is their end game? The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, just wrapped up a town hall to promote the so-called common sense agenda of the third party group No Labels. He was joined on stage by John Huntsman, a former Republican governor of Utah, who also served as a U.S. ambassador under multiple administrations, most recently Trump's. The No Labels manifesto is chock full of conflicting demands, like politicians should stop releasing migrants while also pushing a path to citizenship. They also insist that women should have bodily autonomy while also pushing an obligation to safeguard human life. No Labels is a registered nonprofit, so it's not required to disclose where its funding comes from. Online, they claim to have donors from across the country, but they say they won't share the names because agitators and partisan operatives would try to attack their individual supporters. Despite that, Mother Jones was able to uncover some of the individuals funneling, funneling gobs of money their way. And it consists of corporate executives who have financed both Republican and Democratic candidates. No Labels has so far gained ballot access in Arizona, Colorado, Alaska, and Oregon, and hopes to do the same in all 50 states. Now, mind you, Arizona was pivotal to President Biden's 2020 victory, but he beat Trump by little more than 10,000 votes. Early polling shows that a third-party candidate would siphon off enough votes to tip the election to Trump. The founding chairman of No Labels is former Senator Joe Lieberman, who, as Al Gore's running mate on the Democratic ticket in 2000, was defeated in part because of the third-party candidacy of Ralph Nader. 
Lieberman told The Atlantic, quote, I think people in both parties, particularly the Democrats, are greatly overreacting. They really would do better to try to build up support for their own ticket and adopt a platform that's more to the center. Ah, yes. Democrats are just hysterical about the possibility of handing Trump a second term and potentially bringing the Democratic experiment to an end. Lieberman is being disingenuous, though, when he says that Democrats need a platform that's more to the center, given Joe Biden's bipartisan victories and his willingness to buck the more conservative, I mean, the more progressive wing of his party, which has earned him a significant amount of criticism from said progressives. Political operatives from both parties have met to discuss how to best counter a no-labels presidential run. Their dalliance with a democracy-ending third party has become so terrifying that top Democratic firms who have worked with the group in the past now refuse to discuss their collaboration. Joining me now is David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones and an MSNBC political analyst. Good to see you, my friend. Um, Who's funding this? Well, I wish we knew. They are what we call dark money group. Now, there are a lot of dark money groups out there, but political parties are not. You give money to the DNC, the RNC, it's supposed to be disclosed. So they got last year about $11 million from, we don't know, big donors. They, you can't, they, you know, they could give out the information if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. They choose not to because of their their IRS designation. Uh, Mother Jones, we found that they gave $2.4 million out of this $11 million part of dark money to their effort to get ballot access Mm -hmm. in various states. And then we found a list of contributors that gave $200,000 beyond that pool of money, so other people who support them. And it's, a, you know, it's people who have supported Republicans and Democrats, but I think it really tilts more to the Republican side. Uh, there was a guy named Michael Smith, who is a natural gas billionaire. He gave $5.5 million, mm-hmm. million with an M, to Republican senatorial efforts. There's a fellow named Alan Keene, a real estate developer. He gave $135,000 to mm-hmm. Donald Trump's effort in 2020 not yeah. 2016. And there's a private equity guy named Tom McInerney mm-hmm. who gives hundreds of thousand dollars each year to Kevin McCarthy, congressional Republicans. And so it really, if you added everything up, yeah. there's a distinct Republican tilt. There are some Democrat sure, donors sure. to give, yeah. but you know we don't know. And they keep complaining when I do my stories or when other people ask them, we know we can't give out the names of our donors. But but here's the thing. Uh, You've said the magic words, uh, natural gas, because, you know, if you go back in our previous block, we talked about this sort of fear of a sort of Trump autocracy. If you look at the deregulation, which is what billionaires want more than anything else besides money, right? More money. Um, There was the the sort of amount of deregulation, the sort of cash value of what they saved under Trump versus Obama was like 10 times. Oh, and under Bush, it was like five times. Right. And so what they want is they want a a conservative government that will deregulate their natural gas industries. It's why they like Joe Manchin. He's an oil, oil and coal and gas guy. Isn't this probably big pharma, big oil, those same polluting industries that would rather have Trump because they want deregulation and money? We don't know. I mean, we don't know if they're getting more likely. It's more. it's certainly the, Dem- the ones who give to Democrats come from the center. They're not progressives. The ones who are giving from, re- uh, from who are Republican givers, a lot of them are down the line Republicans. They've supported Trump. They've supported Kevin McCarthy. They're really imp- you know, supporting the Trump far right project. So there is this ideological 
imbalance here. Sure. And imbalance is really the key word here. Yeah. Because if you listen to Joe Manchin and, 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 um, and, Lieberman, and Joe Lieberman, who was out, out there today at the town hall, mm-hmm. too, these leaders, um, they go out again and again and they say, we don't like extremism of the left or right. And they and can't so, name the and, left. But, but what <laughs> they do is they're, they're equating yeah. Joe Biden yeah. as extreme as Donald Trump, the guy who tried to overthrow the, the election and kind of the government. Who yeah. You just did this long segment on has a whole autocratic plan. They say that Joe Biden is is Come extreme on. as Donald Trump. So right there, there's a complete dishonesty. And then when they start hiding their sources of money, yeah. it can only raise suspicions. I, I, when you look at in the swing states. This is the polling effect of them. Yep. In a two-way race, Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump 52-48. You throw la- no labels in, suddenly Donald Trump wins. And yes. I, my Occam's razor answer to that is that they would rather have Trump win because the deregulation is so financially valuable that they prefer that. And what has Joe Biden done that's so liberal? Climate. He's, yep. he's He has passed a giant bill that's going to help save the planet. They don't want to save the planet. They want to drill for gold well, if for you look oil at, and gas. If you look at their common sense pamphlet they put out today, there's virtually nothing in it about climate. Of course. It's mentioned once, and then they say, well, we have to do everything. More oil. More oil while we do a transition. So there's nothing there on on climate. They fudge on abortion. There are two, I think there are two theories here. One is that you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I subscribe to this. One is that they do have this secret agenda that is right wing or, you know, right, right of center, that's business oriented, and they want to help Trump or whoever the GOP candidate sure. is, and they don't like Joe Biden and the Democrats. And that's why they're doing this. The other is that they don't care. Yeah. That they so much want the attention for themselves yeah. and want to be in the middle of things that if they end up throwing the election to Trump, well, that, that's fine by them. Now they say, if the polling shows a year from now sure. that um, that this would be a spoiler and help Trump, they won't yeah. do it. Sure. But, I mean, yeah. that's a lot to we'll hang a promise on. We'll believe it. We'll believe yes. it. And we're trusting Joe Manson and Joe Lieberman with that? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. David Corn, my friend, thank you very much. Good to be here, Joe. Great to see you. All right, coming up, conservative group, uh, conservative group Turning Point USA is holding a big old confab in Florida, of course. And the rhetoric coming out of it is not surprising. But it does provide a window into their long-term goals and ambitions. We'll be right back. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Over the weekend, conservative millennials and the boomers who groomed them gathered at the Turning Point Action Conference in West Palm Beach, Florida. 
It's a strange crowd, kind of like the Conservative Political Action Conference, but with a younger audience, many of whom grew up in a uniquely toxic moment in American politics, where everything from insurrections to Trump sequins is a normalized thing. Donald Trump, the dear leader himself, headlined the conference, making a sparkler-lit entrance in front of his feverish MAGA fans. And the crowd goes wild. One thing was clear. This was Trump country. You were either with him or the enemy. When I get back into the Oval Office, I will totally obliterate the deep state. They will be obliterated. Even as BLM and Antifa traveled the streets of this country and burned them to the ground. In fact, the people at the Capitol on January 6th are exactly the ones who most want to believe in our elections. They're the ones who carried the pocket constitution. And yes, I'm running for president of the United States. We've got some great, great people that are running. And what we, we need is respect for those that might have a differing opinion. Okay, in case you, you, you couldn't hear that last bit after the unemployed guy was former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson getting like viciously heckled for advocating for respect. The word respect, not a popular concept among the far right. In fact, the entire thing was just an endless screed of conspiracies, transphobia, and hate. As for helping Ukraine, forget about it. A straw poll showed 96% of conference attendees opposed the U.S. providing aid for Ukraine's fight against Russia. Those results were announced by Charlie Kirk, president of Turning Point USA and the racism-embracing junior college dropout who founded the youth group in 2012. He once called George Floyd a scumbag and goes on unhinged anti-black rants as a rather pathetic attempt to reach Gen Z. He and all those speakers and audience members with their nastiness and Trump sequins. They're not fooling anybody, though. The Republicans have failed young people. Republicans resent and fear millennial and Gen Z political power. They hate that when young Americans vote in large numbers, they vote in the majority for Democrats, which is why they're constantly trying to suppress their votes. They hate that America's youngest generations are racially diverse and in a majority are liberal on everything from LGBTQ rights and existence to ending white supremacy and learning real history. And so they refuse to treat these young voters with humanity and respect. Why else would they insist on blocking student debt relief, banning books and AP history and abortion, and refusing to do anything about climate and guns, all issues that polls show that young voters really, really, really care about? And then they wonder why they're losing Gen Z which is why Turning Point is fighting for a demographic that they have already lost. Young people do not want the rights agenda. In fact, they are losing Gen Z so spectacularly that Turning Point USA offers urban engagement activism kits to try to lure young black folk into the Republican Party. So it should come as no surprise that conservatives also thought that Marjorie Taylor Greene launching a side hustle as a rap video vixen was a cool idea. I'm not kidding. A new MTG MAGA's MVP video just dropped on Sunday, featuring America's elected troll sitting on a gold throne as a Florida-based rapper calls her a little hood. 
This is not a parody, y'all. I promise. It is cringe as hell, but it really exists. And I promise I will show it to you next. You know MAGALand is struggling to connect with younger, more diverse Americans when they think it's a good idea to put this out into the world. MTG MAGA's MVP. MTG MAGA's MVP. Democrats get back. Boom! Reporters even get slapped. They spreading all these rumors because Marjorie be spitting big facts. Deep state in the left always hating. When they gonna let Joe up out that basement? Marjorie, I really love what you do. Keep calling Ronald's out. No one does it better than you, huh? A real businesswoman. AOC's a featherweight. A southern belle. A little hood. Watch her shake and bake. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I flicked that on y'all. Joining me now with all my apologies is Matthew Bodie, professor at the University of North Georgia, who has written extensively about Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA. Amara Gay, member of the New York Times editorial board and an MSNBC political analyst and the unfortunate soul who has to respond to that first. <laughs> You're the millennial. Yeah. So what's what you think? Is that making you want to oh, be a God. Republican? Uh, well, I just I, they seem a little confused. Uh, <laughs> It's almost, it's like traveling back in time to 1990, (laughs) but like in their imagination, I don't know, like what, what they think is going to happen here. It's remarkable. Um, Obviously it's it's also, we have to say uh, (laughs) that it's offensive because of course the message is simply uh, young people are too stupid to know the difference. Uh, all you need to do to appeal to um, younger people who happen to be a population and a generation that is more racially diverse is simply put some uh, faces of color in an ad and maybe rap as though that's what <laughs> rap or art or music or young people is, is about. I mean, the whole thing, it's kind of hard to know where to start. Um, it's not going to work. So... You know, and then, of course, the the question here is, did they talk to any young people? Clearly, no. Clearly, no. I'm guessing this was like hooked up in in some kind of a political consultant shop that should be fired. But um, (laughs) it's it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. Uh, So I I leave it to you then, Matthew Bode. You are both in Georgia uh, and you understand Turning Points USA. What is the point? What do do they genuinely because they have this urban engagement kit and Tamara's point, they seem to be trying to sort of do like fake blackness, but they also hate black people. And Charlie Kirk says so like every day. (laughs) So your thoughts? I think think it's two things. One, um, Mara's right. It's the power of nostalgia. So it's taking back to the 90s, but also how things were when millennials' parents uh, were in college, or even before that, that's what Charlie Kirk talks about, is returning America to a, a simpler time. But I do think also it treats non-white culture, whatever uh, culture you want to think about, as, as exotic, as some sort of thing you want to be a part of, but you don't want to learn about, right? I mean, you have these MAGA celebrities who are black showing up to Turning Point conferences and doing selfie stands with all the older white voters uh, who show up. So it's an exotic thing. I want to be a part of it. I want to be excited, but I really don't want anything to do with it or understand it. 
Yeah. I mean, look, I, I listen, I, I lived through the 90s. I'm Generation X. And I can tell you that was not what the 90s were like at all. <laughs> Hip hop was actually high quality and it wasn't like that. But let me let's talk about this, because what they're trying to do is appeal to young people. But they keep doing policies, Mara, that young people hate. Um, if you look at what how people feel about things like abortion, age 18 to 29, 83 percent want abortion to be legal. You can go through anything, climate, all these other issues. But then you actually look at who young people are. The median age of white Americans is 43. The median age of Latinos, African-Americans, um, Asian-Americans is under 35 or in their 20s. African-Americans are one of the youngest groups in the country. Only 19% of white Americans are under 18, but and 20% of Asians, 25% of blacks are under 18. 27% of indigenous, of Native American, um, you keep going, Native Hawaiian, 28%. But it's multiracial who are the biggest group of under-18s. So isn't their problem that they despise the people who they think they're trying to attract? Well, I think their problem is that their main uh, vehicle at this point, their main plan to win elections um, is to is really based on a very extreme group of voters appeasing those extreme MAGA voters, and then um, suppressing the vote elsewhere. And so until um, until they're ready to let go of that and and actually uh, legislate again and take part in democratic society um, by being focused on winning elections instead of uh, suppressing voters. Uh, that's not really going to change. So it's hard to look at this any other way than, you know, Republicans know they're not going to win young voters overall. The best they can do is, you know, shave a little bit off the edges, maybe uh, throw something against the wall, see if that sticks. This is a Hail Mary. And yeah. then also um, hope that many voters don't turn out. Don't show up. You know, that's, I think, what this is about. But there is an underlying um, lack of understanding, I believe, about what many Americans, not just young Americans, but the majority of Americans who do support abortion rights, who are worried about climate change and down the list, the world that we live in is not the world that today's Republican Party yeah. lives in. And, and Mr. Uh, Matthew Bodie, who is funding this? Who funds them? Well, Turning Point, as you know, is a 501c3, so they kind of reveal their donors every now and then. I mean, we, we get a general idea. They do call themselves a grassroots organization, so there are small donors. Uh, but the people that are funding the conference this weekend are, are mega donors, uh, people who want to see Trump on stage. And those people who show up to those conferences are paying you know, several hundred dollars to do that. So it's a grassroots, but there's also uh, you know mega donors that any uh, conservative group has. But I think that the, the rhetoric they point out tries to show that they think they have a movement going with young voters and they don't they're not they haven't changed young voters voting uh patterns in in the years that turning points been around so really they're attacking higher education attacking college degrees attacking things that young voters are into to get more money from those donors right and were there many young people do young people show up to these things or maybe with their boomer well, parents. This weekend was quite funny because if you look at all the photographs from New York Times or Washington Post, it, it was all senior citizens or fifty year old, right? Yeah. And and so we think of Turning Point USA as a as a young millennial group, but in fact they've switched yeah. to this broader group. And I wouldn't call them a young person group anymore. They have that, but that is not their focus now at, at all. It's the people who think that rap video was good. That's who showed up. Matthew Bodie and Mara Gay. Thank you and. 
Appreciate you and apologies. Coming up, an Alabama woman who went missing after reporting a toddler on the highway is back home. But there are still a lot of unanswered questions. More next. An Alabama nursing student who went missing Thursday is back home and safe with her family. 25-year-old Carly Russell vanished after she called 911 to report seeing a toddler walking alone on an interstate. She was on the phone with a family member when she disappeared. Video from the interstate where Russell disappeared showed a car driving slowly with flashers on. And word of her disappearance went viral on social media. On Saturday, Russell returned to her family home alone and on foot. She was taken to a hospital for evaluation and released. It is still unclear what happened to Russell during those 48 hours or what happened to the child she reported seeing on Thursday. Joining me now is NBC's Priscilla Thompson in Hoover, Alabama. And Priscilla, I've been watching your coverage, excellent coverage of this case. And I know you talked with the family before their daughter was found. Have they learned or have police interviewed um, Carly Russell and found out where she was? Well, Joy, that is the big question. We know that police have spoken with Carly Russell. They spoke with her the night that she returned when she was taken to the hospital. At some point, they did speak to her at the hospital, but they are not saying what she shared with them. And so what we're hearing from police is that they know what happened in the moments leading up to this phone call being made, that she left work, that she went and picked up food, that she was driving on the interstate, and she made that call saying that she saw a toddler. We've seen the surveillance video of her car with the flashers on appearing to pull over. But police say that after that 911 call was made, they don't know what happened in those 48 hours when she was missing. Having spoken to the family, I know that they have shared that there was a family member who was at the home with them that was on the phone with Carly Russell and recalls hearing her ask someone, are you okay? Followed by a scream, some shuffling, and then she just heard nothing but traffic noise. And her family really described her mother telling me that immediately she felt that her daughter was in danger. Of course, they called police. There was this search that ensued for some 48 hours. And then Saturday night, police say that she showed up at the family home on the doorstep alone on foot. Uh, Medics were called to evaluate her. She was taken to a hospital and released on Sunday morning. And since then, we haven't received an update from officials on her condition. But her boyfriend posted on social media saying, quote, She was literally fighting for her life for 48 hours. He says that she's not in a mental or physical space right now to talk about or give any information about the whereabouts of her kidnappers. But police say that they are still investigating and they do plan to speak with her again in the coming days. Joy. And and let me let me play really quickly. This is the dispatch audio. This is Hoover and Vestavia Hills police and fire uh, on the night that Carly disappeared. Take a listen. 459 South. My marker 10 is going to be a child walking on the three or four-year-old child walking on the side of the interstate. Has there been any follow-up on that? Are police looking for this child? Because that is another part of the mystery here. 
Yeah, another one of the unanswered questions. Police say that the only call they received that night about a child on the interstate was from Carly Russell. No one else called in anything like that. They said that they have not received any reports of a missing child. So as you mentioned, just another mystery in all of this. But I did ask police, are, is that something that they're looking at? And again, they say that it is part of their investigation as they continue to try to piece together what exactly happened on that interstate, what happened during the time that she was missing, who she may have been with, and what might have happened to her. Joy. And la last, last uh, question here. Are police looking for a potential suspect? Because if there is, in theory, a kidnapper out there, one would think that the community would want to know, especially if they're luring women using potentially a child. Absolutely, Joy. And I put that exact question to the police chief when I met with him earlier. He declined to comment again, saying that it was part of the investigation. But it's notable that when I spoke with Carly Russell's parents, one of the things they mentioned was that they had warned their daughter about situations like this, saying that no matter how young a person who may seem in danger may appear, that it could be a, a trap and it could be someone using that in order to do something nefarious. And so when they heard that this has happened. Literally, the thing they said was we have warned her about this. So certainly some concern there, at least from the parents, that this could have been some sort of trap. But again, police saying that they are still exploring all possible avenues, potentially looking uh, for that child, not commenting on whether or not there is a suspect that they have in mind or not, but saying that they want to have um, another conversation with Carly Russell as they continue to move forward in this investigation. Joy? NBC's Priscilla Thompson, thank you so much. Excellent reporting. We're going to keep up with the story. Much appreciated. And that is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.